Welcome to the London First Baptist Church podcast. This is the Sunday morning service of January 10th from Pastor Brett Cottrell. This morning we'll be in 2 Corinthians 5, and specifically we'll be looking at verse 15. You may recognize this passage of Scripture. 2 Corinthians 5.15 is to a degree our theme verse as a church. It says this, And he that is Christ died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Some people have described this verse as a job description, if you will, of the church. It's a verse that has shaped us over these last few years. This last week has been an adventurous week for many. G.I. Packer, and J.I. Packer is an author and a theologian, who passed away in 2020, in the summer, he said this, If you ask, why is this happening? No light may come. But if you ask, how am I to glorify God now? There will always be an answer. The events of the last week have left many shaken, some angry, confused, even scared. Events that have taken place, events most thought only happened elsewhere in the world, have happened here. Heaped upon months of pandemic, isolation, quarantines, unrest, violence, our nation seems for many to be at a crisis point. In the Bible alone, the periods of history it covers, nations rise, and empires fall. Leaders come and go at the desire and the purpose of God, who is the author of history. These things happen for the glory of God. And the truth is, the glory and the purposes of God, no matter what empires come and go, no matter what leaders come and go, His glory, His purposes are never defeated or never delayed. And the same is true this morning. The events of this past week, whether they are in our country or some others, have neither delayed nor defeated the plans of God. His plans are never in danger from the plotting and the scheming of mankind. So while we fret and worry, maybe even rant and fume, God would draw our attention today and our devotion not to things destined to fade to dust, but to those which will last for eternity. The best way to shape our present is to know when to serve the God of eternity past and eternity future. 2 Corinthians 5.15, let me read this again. This is what shapes us this year. He died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. He died for all. There's a couple of different ways to look at that and understand that this morning. Let me point out one of them. He died for all in the sense of he died for all types as well. There is no one that Christ did not, no type of person that Christ did not die for. That all includes men, women, children. It includes Americans and Europeans, Africans, Asians, and Antarcticans, I don't know, I don't know if Antarctica, are there, are there those? It includes all those. 
It includes poor and rich, powerful and weak, and all those in between. Revelation 5.9 gives us a glimpse of heaven. And in that verse, it says this, speaking of Christ, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. There does not exist on the face of the earth a language, an ethnic group, a tribal group, a nation for whom God did not die. It includes us all. It's why we must strive even this morning in First Baptist in London to, to look now as we worship what heaven will look like in the future. Part of what we do on Sunday mornings as we gather together is to not only worship or proclaim the name of the Lord now, but it is to foreshadow, to give a glimpse and a tease of what heaven will be like one day. And I guarantee you, as you and I gather to worship our Lord one day in heaven, there will be people that look like everyone you can possibly imagine from the history of the world. One of the great joys and privileges of having had the opportunity through the years to take the occasional international mission trip is to, be, is to have your heart broken for those who are so much different than you are and realize that what you desperately want is to be able to spend eternity with people like that as you stand side by side with them and worship the Lord. To this day, one of the things that I, I missed the most, I've not had a chance to travel overseas since we came to London, uh, but the, the very first trip I took to Dakar, Senegal in 2012, I think it was 2012, sometimes the years blend together, maybe you can identify with that, was to stand on a, a peak that oversaw the smog-coated landscape of that city of several million. And to ask the Lord, let me worship in eternity with somebody from here. And maybe we're not in Senegal this morning, maybe we're here in London or in Russellville or someplace in Arkansas, but our prayer should be the same. Lord, would you let me in eternity worship with someone right now from London or from Russell, who maybe I don't know yet. And maybe, Lord, would you use me to bring them to that point of salvation. We live in London or Russell, the River Valley, and our ministry does in fact begin here, but it does not end here. And we are not constrained and limited by the city limits of London. We are only constrained by the imagination of our Lord and the boundaries of the universe. And that is our mission field. He died for all. That's why our motto, our, our tagline, if you will, is together for Christ with the gospel to the world. This verse, though, as we continue in it, it says that He died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves. And he calls out a specific group of people. And he says, here is what's going on, that they who live, and he separates that group of people from the rest of the people who do not live. Now, what does he mean by those who live? What is this distinct group of people who are alive? Because you might be tempted to look around the room and say, well, we all look alive. Well, at least most of us do. That was a joke. You can laugh. 
just so that I know you're alive. Okay. Those who live. Now, that's a distinct group because not everyone's in that category this morning. Not everyone in our world is. In fact, we could probably argue that most people are not as alive in the way that 2 Corinthians 5.15 speaks to us about. Now, we are all part of different groups. Some of you this morning are, are teachers. You're in a group of teachers. Some of you are, uh, some of you work at a nuclear plant. You're in a group that works there. Some of you, we, we have all kinds of descriptions, right? We all have groups that we belong to. Some of you work, some of you are retired. Different groups. Some of you are recently transitioned from one group to the other. You're hunters, you're fishermen. Some of you like smooth peanut butter, some of you like crunchy. By the way, crunchy, that's the only thing there is. Depends <laughs> on what group you're part of. We all have groups that we're a part of, right? Ways to describe ourselves. In the Gospels, Jesus calls it a group that we call today apostles. But before they were apostles, they were fishermen, tax collectors, even zealots, or we might call them today terrorists. They were part of different groups, and yet God, Christ, specifically called them from the group that they had been a part of, and He called them into a different group, a group that we would describe this morning as those who are, in 2 Corinthians 5.15, alive. And of course we mean by this, spiritually alive. Those who have placed their faith in Christ and have the promise of resurrection. Those who are not any longer limited to or constrained by or afraid of physical death, even though we will still experience it. But we are not limited by it, we are not defined by it, we are now defined not by death, but by resurrection. For you and I, for those who have placed their faith in Christ this morning, death is no longer our defining characteristic as mortal human beings. It is now resurrection. Now, that should get a big amen, quite frankly. You and I are no longer defined by death. Now, I know we're scared of it, many of us are. We do our best to avoid it. I'm not saying we should seek it. But what I'm saying is this. We are no longer defined by you and I as those who now have faith in Christ are now defined not by death, but by life, by resurrection. We will not be limited by physical death anymore. We are now spiritually, eternally alive. And that makes us different than everybody else who does not know Christ. This group of alive people that Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians, again, we are different than the rest of the world. So what does it mean to be alive? Let me call your attention to the book of Ephesians. If you want to flip over there to the book of Ephesians, just a few pages over in your scriptures, to Ephesians chapter 2. Paul is speaking about, again, this exact same idea of what it means to be alive. And he says this in chapter 2, verse 1 of Ephesians. And you, speaking to the church there in Ephesus, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that's now working in the sons of disobedience. Verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. 
by grace you have been saved, and raised up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For grace you have for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God. You and I have been made alive. We were dead to Christ. We were in our, if you will, we were alive in our dead. No, 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 we weren't. We were dead to Christ while we were living in our sins. But if we have now placed our faith in Christ, we are now dead to sin and alive in Christ. So when he talks about in 2 Corinthians 5 that we are now those who have been made alive, it means that we were once dead in our sins and now alive. Now what does it mean to be dead in our sins? It means this, without being too graphic about it. Those who are not alive, those who are dead, they do not respond to you, do they? You can call their name. You can yell. You can shout. You can slap. You can poke. You can prod. They don't do anything. They cannot respond. And we were described as, and we were born as, according to the Scripture, those who are dead to Christ, dead to God. That means we were unresponsive spiritually speaking, that we lacked the ability on our own to respond to spiritual things. We had no spiritual life. And for the majority of our world this morning, that's the way they are even at this moment. It means that spiritually speaking, they have no ability to respond to spiritual things. They can't understand them. They can't perceive them. They don't know they're there. They're completely unresponsive. That's what it means to be dead to Christ and dead in our trespasses and sin. Our greatest issue this morning in this world is not that we as a human race are somehow out of sync or out of harmony with our natural world. It is not that we are uneducated or lack understanding or, or, or lack uh, the knowledge of things like history and math. Our greatest trouble is not that we have sometimes problems with relating to one another and even loving one another. Our greatest trouble is that most of us are dead. And dead people don't do these things. They don't do anything. Now, obviously, we know everyone's physically alive, but we are, most of this world, spiritually dead. But you and I, if we have come to faith in Christ, have been made alive. That's the thing here. And so, through the death and the resurrection of Christ, as we see in 2 Corinthians 5 15, we are now those who are counted to be alive. Once we were dead, once I was in my sins. And we know what sin looks like, don't we? But here's the thing. We don't lie because we're liars. We're liars because we lie. I'm sorry, I got that backwards. <laughs> I meant what I meant to say, we lie because we're already liars. We steal because we're already thieves. I said it backwards a while ago. Dead people act like dead people. 
You and I are born this way. The world exists, by and large, mostly this way. A man does not kill and become a murderer. He, is the, he kills because he already was a murderer. And by the way, according to Scripture, we're all in that category. That's the point Jesus is making in the Sermon on the Mount when he says if you call someone a name in your head, you're already guilty of murder. We're already all murderers. We're already all thieves. We're already all liars because we're born that way. We were born dead in our sins. And we do those things because of what we already are. So that's the majority of the world that we live in. They are spiritually dead. Salvation comes to us. Life comes to us through the miracle of the resurrection, the grace of God. Ephesians 2 says, listen, the only reason any of us are alive in Christ, the only reason you and I have any spiritual life whatsoever is because God's just really nice and kind to us. He's gracious. We've not earned it. I'm not spiritually alive because I'm somehow more qualified to be alive than the next guy. It's because God was gracious to me. By the way, if you're doubting God's power in your life this morning, look at this. This is the God who created. This is the God who resurrected Christ. If you're doubting the power of God this morning, it's the power of God that raised dead people to life. The power that raised you. The power of God that had raised Jesus from the dead has already acted in my life. He's raised me from spiritual death to spiritual life. He's moved me from deadness in sin to being alive in Christ. God has already resurrected me. So what does it look like? Back to 2 Corinthians. What does it look like, this life that we're talking about this morning? What does it look like that He died for all so that they who live, that's us, hopefully, who have been resurrected in Christ, who have this spiritual life, what does that spiritual life look like? John chapter 2 Jesus is speaking, he has, um, in that chapter, he has uh, fashioned a cord of, he's, he's fashioned some whips and he's run some money changers out of the temple. Everyone's a little bit upset by this. And they're all rumping, just who do you think you are? By what authority do you do this? And Jesus has a somewhat cryptic response. He says this, tear down this temple and in three days I'll bring it back. Well, this temple took 46 years to build. Blah, 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 blah. Well, it was, a, it was a cryptic response for them. But as the Apostle John describes for us, what he's referring to is, in fact, his resurrection. The temple he was referring to was his own body. And what Jesus is saying is this. You want to know by what authority I do this? I'll tell you. I'll prove it to you. I will come back to life. I will resurrect. The resurrection is the central thing of all Scripture. Without the resurrection, without Jesus' resurrection, without your and I's hope for resurrection, none of this makes any difference. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says that without the resurrection of Christ, if that's not true, if there's no resurrection, we should all go home because we are above all people most to be pitied. The resurrection is central. This idea of life is the thing that separates us from everyone else. Now look at what He did for us. He died for us to bring us this life. 
That means this. That means he left a rightful, acknowledged position of authority, the throne of heaven. He left that. He suffered the descent first to being a human baby, born in poverty, forced to flee to another country to protect his life. In other words, he was a refugee. Before finally returning to Nazareth to be raised in a small town in a small country that no one in the larger world thought was significant. And at just the right time, if that wasn't enough, the God of the universe, the creator of all things, not just did all that, but at the right moment, he found himself before the authorities of this small country and this small town, ultimately to be beaten, spat upon, nailed to a tree, and killed. He suffered. He was humiliated. He was dishonored. He was selfless in seeking our salvation. To be willing to suffer the loss of what was rightfully his, even though it was temporary. So that those who were killing him could be forgiven. To have Jesus and his resurrection as the single most important part of our lives is what it means to be spiritually alive. To be a gospel-centered people. To be a resurrection people. Means that every aspect of our lives, not just a couple hours on Sunday morning or Wednesday night, must be shaped by the life that Christ has given us. That means that the suffering He endured for us, we are called to suffer on behalf of others. It means that the same way He gave up His rights from heaven for time so that He could save us, those who were killing Him, that's the model for our own lives. There's a reason that time after time after time after time in the Gospels, in the letters of Paul, in the, in the book of Revelation, that God's people are always seen as those who are suffering for the sake of the gospel because it is through suffering that salvation comes. It's through death that resurrection takes place. To live for Him is what we're talking about. Now, if we're confused about what it means to be light, to live a life that demonstrates resurrection. By the way, here's, it's, how, how do I know we're doing this? What does it look like to live a resurrection life? Let me share with you perhaps a couple of ideas. One would be this, by being fearless and showing grace and forgiveness. To defend the gospel and the biblical truth. To be obedient in worship and service, even at great risk to ourselves. By placing our hope in the heavenly kingdom of God and not men or their plans. By trusting the words and the work of Jesus Christ and not a platform or agenda of those seeking their own power through time spent with our lord and savior that compels us to share that truth with others if i'm not doing these things it's reasonable to ask if all i have is an intellectual belief in jesus christ and not a saving faith or life from christ because life produces living things and these living things are alive to the world of the spirit if we're confused on those issues, how do we know that we are alive? You will see spiritual fruit, Galatians 5. You will see lessening sin. You see that in Ephesians chapter 2. We already read. 
who are seeking the approval of this world, it looks like we're probably having our life in this world. If we're seeking the approval of Christ, we probably have our life in Him. To be living for Christ, as described in 2 Corinthians 5.15, means that we are no longer concerned primarily with our own agendas, our own lives, or even our own desires, but we live for His. We live for His desires, His purposes, the glory of the One for whom we were made. That's what it means to be spiritually alive, to see things as they actually are. We saw this morning as we prayed in Philippians chapter 3, we talked about, we prayed about the surpassing value of knowing Christ. Why do we so often find ourselves living as if the things of this world are more valuable? Because we haven't seen Christ. If you have encountered the living God, you will find that the things of this world just aren't that big a deal. And face of the surpassing value of knowing Christ. In fact, what you'll really want to do is to take that surpassing value of Christ and make it known. Talk to, let everyone else know this great treasure that you have found, this unsurpassed pearl of great price. That's part of what it means to be spiritually alive. And if we've been made alive through the work of God in Christ and yet live for ourselves, we're doing a really good impression of a dead person. I'm not even talking about just coming to church on a Sunday morning or to a worship service. I'm talking about whether or not our lives are lived for ourselves, based on our own desires, or based upon His. Because if we serve Him, even if we physically die, we live and will resurrect. There are those who are utterly consumed with their own desires their own desires take them down the tube if you will they can't let go they're destroying their lives from the inside out they think they're free by self-determination but the reality is they're killing themselves and they can't stop because they're subject or slaves if you will to their own desires to be spiritually alive means we are freed from that we are living for him who died and rose again on their behalf. On what is all this based? It is the gospel. He left for a time, again, what was rightfully his. He left heaven, gave up his throne that he might be born a baby. We just talked about that for a month, didn't we? He was born in poverty and humiliation, also that he could give us life and make us alive. To be spiritually alive, to live for Him, means that we see things as they really are. And I'm not talking about politics or social movements or the plans and plots of those in power. I'm talking about the spiritual reality of those who are lost and saved, dark and light, sin, righteousness, confusion, and wisdom. Years ago, before the events, even in the last several years, I had an individual come to me before worship service with an elaborate theory that included the logos on a certain monster, uh, yeah, monster energy drink. He, he, had, he, had, he had a theory about the logo on, on energy drinks combined with uh, the song of the, the title of a popular song, uh, the name of a musician and the singers from the 1930s. I mean, it, it, was, it was a 
series of facts that dated back 70 or 80 years, all with this basic point. They're out to get us. And he wanted to know whether or not I was teaching our teenagers this. And I said, if you're talking about the mystery of the conspiracy behind the logo of the monster energy drink, no, I'm not talking to them about that, but I am saying this. Jesus told us 2,000 years ago the world would hate us. It's not really a surprise. In fact, he even went so far as to say, if they don't hate you, you're doing something wrong. He said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. If they killed me, they're going to come after you too. And here's the thing. We're too comfortable with a world that likes us. We're too comfortable with wanting to be liked by the world. And again, I'm not talking about politics here. I'm talking about the righteousness of Christ, the spiritual life that comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If we do that, the world will be upset. They killed him. Why do we think they wouldn't do anything more than that with us? As we go into a new year, well, let me get back to this guy. The tragedy of that conversation was not so much that he had chosen to cherry pick some facts and believe, I guess, that the creators of Monster Energy Drink were out to kill us. By the way, I don't drink that. <laughs> I think it's nasty. The tragedy of that was this, that he was focused on the plans of the enemy and not the glory of Christ. That was the tragedy. The world and the father of lies have always been opposed to the work of the resurrection and salvation. That isn't new. The solution is for the alive people to be living for the resurrected Christ, declaring Him, His power, His work, and His glory. The solution is to see Jesus as the Lord, our banner. That's one of those names we saw over the last couple of weeks. The Lord, our banner. For Him to be our rallying cry. For Him to be the, the sign, the banner the, that we rally to and thrive and go to. That we unite underneath. That's the power of the gospel. The opportunity before us in the coming year is one that we perhaps did not anticipate. We are faced not only with a pandemic, but we are faced with any number of things that we didn't anticipate even a year ago. And the truth is, I'm sure 2021 will put before us things we didn't expect either. But the opportunity that lies before us will present us with perhaps new circumstances, even perhaps difficult circumstances, ones we didn't anticipate, ones we do not like, but nothing we will face in the coming year will be new to the gospel. The gospel has thrived and has grown in the, Rome, in, the, in the oppression of the Roman Empire, in places like communist China and Russia. It has thrived in world depressions. It's thrived in pandemics. It has thrived in the, greatest, uh, the deepest jungles of Africa. You cannot find a place, you cannot find a people, you cannot find a circumstance that has not been and will not be 
defeated by the gospel of Christ. And that means 2021 too. Do not be afraid of what lies next week or next month or next year, but see it as an opportunity for the gospel. Maybe the method we take the gospel would be different. Probably not, though. The truth is the gospel has always been spread primarily by those who tell their friends. They weren't doing vacation Bible school in the year 75 A.D. Now, nothing wrong against vacation Bible school. I hope we do it. But that wasn't the primary way it happened. It wasn't done through evangelistic crusades where they rented out the Roman Colosseum. That's pretty funny, isn't it? Christianity spread when people like you and me, undaunted by the fear that Satan would try to foist upon us, shared with those that they knew, boldly, despite whatever risk they faced, knowing that the power of the gospel would overcome all these things. We have before us a brave, exciting, difficult journey. But oh, how the light shines in those types of days.